0: All right, gang, I have a question. What's the most expensive item you have been in proximity to? I'm defining proximity as same room, same building. Uh, Josiah, what you I got?
1: have been to the Tower of London and have been in the Crown Jewels area. So, you know, all that stolen, all those stolen gems and gold, I've been around those. I don't know how much that totals out to, but it's probably a lot. So uh, that's, probably, that's probably the most expensive stuff I've been around.
0: I think the blue yeah. star. I think it's a it's a blue diamond from India. I think that's a hundred million. There alone. So, so it's a hundred carats. Probably and worth several million. hundred
1: million dollars worth of precious things. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Jeff, how about you? Are, What's the most expensive item you've been in proximity? Are
2: to? we counting things that you could like feasibly walk out of that room with? Because
0: no, because mine's <laughs> not.
2: Okay. Because <laughs> I will say, I have been in a hangar with uh, Space Shuttle and uh, Air and Space Museum. I've been on an aircraft carrier that is a museum. Uh, Those are, so Space Shuttle, I think, 1.7 billion to build um, at the time. I think the Midway was built for 202 million and that was in the 40s, so inflation, I don't want to think about that. So one of those two would probably be the most expensive uh, item I've been in proximity to, and one of them I guess I was stepping on because you're walking all over history.
0: Yeah, the Midway is uh, huge and amazing. Um, I, uh, I've i been to the Intrepid as a museum for purposes of just kind of comparing there. Uh, for me, it's uh, absolutely a submarine. And uh, one of those submarines I was on may or may not have had ballistic missiles of a highly destructive variety and I don't want to be I'm being purposefully vague here but those each of those weapons is incredibly expensive and there's dozens of them oh on the submarine gosh. so of all those things it's very unsettling to sleep next to I, I I will be candid with you so those are all very expensive I think the submarine was a Seawolf class which I believe were 5 billion a pop at the time and this is 19 I think 70s money um the one I was on was one of the newer ones, and then I was on a boomer at one point, and those boomers are, the Ohio class, are incredibly expensive, not only to build, but also to maintain, and also to arm. So uh, those are all very <laughs> oh expensive things. I'm bringing this all up because a friend of mine, the aforementioned Butler alum, who I have talked to for a long time, he actually lives in Texas now, and he was at a, uh, an exhibit of the world's oldest complete Hebrew religious text. Now, the, the clickbait of the article says Bible in big capital letters, but they're more reserved in the actual article. In the actual article, they use the term, quote, religious text. And they found it in Syria, and they found it at around, it's from circa 900 A.D. That's my understanding. It's over a millennium old. I'm going to ask you guys a question. This thing is, first of all, going up for auction, which seems like something that should go to not yeah. auction.
2: It belongs in the <laughs> museum. There we go.
0: It does. There's a small nation in the Middle East that might be curious to get their hands on this. Not going to name any names. Um, how much would you, if you were bidding? I'm going to start with Jeff. Jeff, if you were bidding on this, how much would you bid?
2: I'll try it. It has been so long since I would have purchased uh, any sort of piece of, well, I would say piece of religious text, and I realized I bought a uh, book discussing the history of secular thought and Judaism on Kindle, and that was like 15 bucks. This is obviously worth more than 15 bucks. I don't know. Was it complete, though? (laughs) Was the
0: Kindle version complete?
2: The Kindle version was complete. On a bridge. Uh, Okay. Yes.
0: all right, Josiah, what are, what are you thinking? How much would you pay? How much would you bid? Not pay if yeah. it's an auction. I mean, how much would you bid?
1: Honestly, these sort of ancient books, I haven't done a lot with that in my research, but like they're usually worth of They can be worth up to like a couple hundred thousand, sometimes maybe a million. I don't know. I mean, if I had the cash, that's probably where I would start—is in like the million-dollar range.
2: I yeah, I'm, I'm, this- I'm thinking. All right. Would I mortgage my house? Yeah, for I mean, this? I wouldn't. And I personally good would not. Uh, and my house is, you know, I don't have the money to go to auctions.
1: But if I did, yes, like...
0: <laughs> yes, it's all hypothetical. Southern Methodist University, which we have talked about before, very in proximity to money. I don't know if you guys know this. They have a lot of money. Um, this book will be up for auction. 30 million dollars to start and they think it will go for up to 50 million dollars u.s dollars 50 million u.s dollars and so that put me in a think a contemplative mindset and so i'm actually brainstorming with the co-hosts about future this is a future content a future religious school content where we're going to talk about Religion in college Mm -hmm. football, maybe religion in college is broadly, I I don't know yet, but we're mapping it out. But I see a note here from both of my co-hosts, one I find very funny and one that's a little surprising. And so, Josiah, you put a note in here between these two schools. One of them is now your Big 12 mate. The other one is the aforementioned Mm -hmm. Southern Methodist. Uh, And this is also a future tease. What have you, what, what is this here? It looks like a, a, yeah, a yeah. movie I, title. What my
1: my uh, a friend of mine who got his degree at TCU, got his PhD there, said that the, the way he explained the relationship between TCU, Texas Christian, and Southern Methodist University is that TCU parking lots were full of Audis, but the SMU parking lots were full of BMWs. So all the TCU students would talk to him like they were the working class kids in that relationship. And he's like, are you joking? <laughs> so, you know, we, we may do some more car comparisons in the future, see if we can figure out what vehicles correspond to different schools. Um, but yeah, I always thought that was funny, like a way to conceptualize it. If, if TC use an Audi, SMU's a BMW. And clearly they got that money because they can afford to sell one book for 50, $50 million dollars.
0: They're just, just like, like us. us, folks. So, I've also got my other co-host, Jeff, here. And I want to put, I, I kind of want to put this in. This is this is a tease, a little tease. It's coming coming in the future. What you have? There's a small, private, maybe underfunded institution in, it looks like, I think this is Durham, this is Durham, is Durham, North Dur-ham. Carolina?
2: Durham, North Carolina. Durham. Uh, there
0: it is. This, Tell me This about is it. our
2: Lexus school, <laughs> uh, which may or may not just be related to the car that uh, dentists I had in high school, who's... Whose son was going to this institution, uh, drove. But Duke.
0: What's it called? What's the name of the school?
2: Duke uh, University. You may have heard of it. Um, in addition. Shooty Hoop School. Yes. In addition to the Shooty Hoops, it has a seminary uh, for the United Methodist Church. And one of uh, my good friends went to seminary there. Huh. Um, and I, I had to talk with her about this because Duke is not a school you think of as a religious school. And yet it has Duke. a seminary. Um, there are a lot of Methodist pastors who are alumni of Duke, um, and her experience was that the seminary of the school and most of the other academic uh, departments and, and general student population don't really mix that much. They are very separate, so it is kind of hard hard to notice. It's not nearly as ingrained as a religious school that that many other religious schools are into um, the culture there. Yeah. That's
0: amazing. And I think that's our cold open. And welcome, 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 everybody, to the sixth episode of Feed Your Mascot. My name is Blue, and I'm joined with my two favorite co-hosts. I've got Josiah coming to us today. I, he's got a new shirt on. I can't tell what it is. So I'm going to ask him James to explain. What, do you, what you got maybe. on today?
2: Go Dukes. Go Dukes.
0: Wait a minute. Is that, hold on. <laughs> is that President James Madison's university? yes,
1: but, you know, I won't hold that against them. <laughs>
0: Small Teachers College in Harrisonburg, Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia. I've heard of them. One of my very good friends went there. And I've been there uh, as recently as uh, last year. Beautiful school up in the mountains. Uh, Love it, love it, love it. And we've got Jeff coming to us today. Uh, uh, We can hear him. But because this is a visual medium, no one can see it. What's going on, Jeff? Uh,
2: I don't know. Uh, Having some weird computer issues where my camera doesn't want to turn things on. But I am from my in-laws' house in North Carolina. Uh, So still enjoying the Tar Heel State. Beautiful things in the culture and geography of the state of North Carolina, including a very delicious banana pudding shake from Cookout. Highly recommend
0: cookout has some of the best menu options that you're going to get at a low price point at a fast food place. <laughs> Can confirm. So today we're going to stick with our our usual uh, three course menu. And this week, Chef Josiah has been in the kitchen, folks. He has not one, but two segments of our show that he put together. And I'm super excited for it. The app and the dessert. Uh, if you've ever seen, there's an old movie, young folks, because we know A lot of you listen to us may not be of our generation or our age group. There's a movie where there's a line called, if you build it, they will come. And they're talking about a football, or excuse me, a baseball diamond in a cornfield. And I believe this movie takes place in Iowa. So we're going to talk about that. And Josiah's got something real nice for us. Next, we have our main course. And, you know, Jeff's got a good one here. We talk about regionalism a lot in our Discord. That's the Moon Crew Discord server. Come check us out. We talk a lot about regionalism. In fact, we have a sign that we reset every (laughs) couple of days where somebody started talking about regionalism again. And so we're going to talk about national versus regional. Have a small little debate. And then our inaugural game on Feed Your Mascot. Jeff's going to give us the rules. And then he's going to tell us whether or not there can be winners or if the winners are the friends we made along the way. And finally, our dessert, we're going to go back to Josiah. And we've got two questions about grabbing fans and creating team interest. And I'm not going to spoil those, because I think the questions are going to surprise you. I actually really like them a lot. So Josiah, I kind of want you to go on about this, because you've got a note here from uh, former Mm -hmm. coach Dan Mullen, who was maybe one of the best coaches in the modern history of of Mm -hmm. Mississippi State, uh, affectionately known as Klanga to me and the Bulldogs to everybody else. what was this mantra? What was he talking about? Kind of explain it to me. Walk us through Mississippi State broadly. Give us a little bit of their culture and then kind of pose the question. Yeah,
1: Mississippi asked. State is a school that wasn't wasn't known for football success before Dan Mullen showed up. You know, spoiler alert. I mean, we the weirdest part about that is that we would recruit really good players. Like we would have top 15 recruiting classes sometimes, dominant defensive players. And in, in fact, if you Even today, like that's a weird persistent thing. MSU has always been able to build a defense. So when we brought in Dan Mullen, everyone's like, all right, maybe we can get some offense now. Um, (laughs) And Dan Mullen came in when we were, you know, post-croom era, things had bottomed out pretty far for the football program. We were never great, but that was really a pretty dismal period. And Dan Mullen, when he came in, really tried to build the culture there back up and really hype it up. And the thing that he would say all the time, it was a version of if you come to the games, wins will follow. If the fan support shows up, we will start winning. And and it was a weird to me at the time as a you know young, young, you know, undergrad and and grad student. Like it felt counterintuitive a little bit, but it sort of seemed to work. So every, you know, he kept saying, like, support the school and then the success will follow that. Not, you know, success will come and then you can support us um and so he was a big orchestrator in a slogan that also went out which was this is our state another version of that like we're gonna claim the state of mississippi and we and it went on it went out for more than just sports but the idea was like if you if you pay attention to us we'll show you that we can win and that slogan went well beyond just the football field into lots of different areas even in like miss america competitions we would have people who were winning those, and we'd claim that as a victory. And so it worked, and I was surprised by that. Now, like the more research I've done, I'm not as surprised by that. But I'm interested in what you think about the idea of show up as a fan, and then the success comes after that. Do you guys think that would work? It worked in Mississippi State, but that may be a sort of specific case, um, and it may be a specific period of time when that could have worked. Do you guys think that would work? Mo- that idea works most places everywhere. And what do you guys feel like are maybe the limits to that idea of show up and then the team will get good?
2: So I think it really depends on your definition mm, of success yeah. because there is some research on what home field advantage looks like in different sports and why home field advantage exists in different sports. So in football, it's about a field goal. And there are a number of different factors that people have looked at as to why. Um, that exists. And some of that is psychological mm-hmm. by players. Um, You might be more hyped up to some degree if you have your fans cheering or if you're in front of a hostile environment. Uh, you also have things like your ability to communicate as a team can be impacted by opposing fans. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Um, that's a big one. Particularly Mississippi State that's known for cowbells and, and loud noises that can inhibit what's as big a factor as well is that officials are influenced to some degree by fans just because they do not want to be put in dangerous situations for themselves. Um, they also, it may just be subconscious as well of one side versus the other. Um, one of the other big things that is unrelated to that is just travel. Um, And I did see a little bit of research out of kind of looking at different soccer leagues and the league that had the greatest home field advantage was the Western conference in MLS, which for a league during the regular season has probably some of the biggest travel differences where, you know, it is a long distance between some of the more Eastern Western conference teams uh, and the ones all the way for, I mean, it, it's long flights between Texas and Seattle. Yeah. Well, um, and so that is a major impact because if you were traveling a ton, you can't be at peak performance. And
1: to to sort of confirm that before, I know, Blue, you're going to jump in, but going back to Dan Mullen, that 2014 season where they were number one, first number one team ever in playoff history, all that jazz, they lost two games that were really high profile, one against Alabama, Once against Ole Miss. And the travel, I I really still think, is the reason they lost, because they came out really tight in both those games. And the way they traveled was they didn't go to Tuscaloosa, get a hotel, stay, and then bus to the stadium. The morning of the game, they bust from Starkville to Tuscaloosa, and then Starkville to Oxford. And sitting in a bus for an hour, hour mm. and a half, two hours, whatever, the players... You're cramped okay, up. No body is tighter just a little bit. And I mean, it, no. it. you know, it can make a difference. Of course, there's the other home field things, but you're getting up earlier than you might. Or even if you're not, you're sitting on a bus for a longer period of time. And that can just disrupt the routine just enough that I think that that was, I mean, obviously also Bama is very good. It's hard to beat him, but like, I, I, I do. I feel like those games had some closeness, or at least the Bama one did that if we came out a little less tight, might've actually won that one, but, Anyway, so travel, even a short distance, if you do it the wrong way, I think can make a big difference.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think both of you have made a great point here. Um, there is a lot of empirical evidence that, you know, you, you play better at home. Um, but I, I am what I'm one for always bringing support. I, you know, this kind of butts up against do you build a bigger stadium to get more people in or do you build a smaller stadium you can sell out every week? You know, my own alma mater asked that very question. You know, Norfolk State didn't have a stadium at any point in its history before 1997. They were always playing off campus, so to speak. They were playing uh, at Old Dominion University, which is another school in the Commonwealth of Virginia, in Norfolk, Virginia. And so playing at Foreman Field was always we had to bus over to them and then play over there. But in 1997, Norfolk State opened Dick Price Stadium, which is the home of the Spartans, named after the greatest coach in the history of Norfolk State history. And one of the important things there is, that very first game they played was the Labor Day Classic against Virginia State, our biggest rival. And so we had always gone to their campus to play them. Always, their stadium was built in the 20s, and so we always went to Ettrick, Virginia to play them. And then when we had our it was the very first time Virginia State ever came on campus. They had never been on campus to play football. And that was the biggest. That stadium had never been more full. than they, they overpacked the stadium. I think 50,000 people showed up to a 30,000-foot stadium. And so, again, it's, it is about showing up. Whether you win every game or lose them, your fellow students, ostensibly, are playing a football game on behalf of the institution that you all are a part of. And there is something to that of i'm here for you our alumni are here for you kids in town are here for you and so i'm i'm mm-hmm. i'm all for it i want people to show up to the games i, I think there's nothing better than an in-game experience uh, you know we talk about bands a lot the three of us because we all have varying experience with the bands but live band sound will always yes. trump a recording Cause there's no way to there's no way to recreate that mm-hmm. feeling through the internet. You gotta be there. You you have to be there. And I think the same is true for, you know, that excitement to watch a guy running untouched down the sideline. Like that it feels good at home. It feels great in the stands. And I, I think that communal aspect, you know, is is worth something. Again, you can't play football by yourself. You need ten <laughs> other guys standing with you. And so I, I really think strongly that, you know, there's something to being mm-hmm. in person. That's my, that's my, you know, I, I, that's what I think. I think, yeah, you'll get people in a stands. Cause then people watch on TV go, I oh, yeah. don't want to be in a stands.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, you know? I agree. And I think that's another thing too, of if you create a great atmosphere once people are going to come back and they're going to tell their friends, Hey, this is a good time. Let's go to this. And if you think about how you need to build a program, You need that sort of, you need that engagement from a lot of stakeholders and having that great experience that people are there for is part of that. You also, if you're getting people there, they're paying money for tickets, they might be paying money for concessions, they might be more willing to donate money so that if you are a program that needs to physically build and is capital um, investment, you need being able to get money from people and make people willing to Give you their money is a huge part of being able to bring in that success. And I know I'm sure that people listening to this are like,
1: but wait, Nebraska exists and they have rabid fans. Um, But I think one caveat to the thing of sometimes you show up and there isn't success on the field. The reason that anybody can talk about Nebraska bouncing back is because that fan support hasn't waned. So if Nebraska's fan support had just dropped off and they were selling 10% of their tickets, you know, if it looked like some of, I mean, Big 12 country, I've seen Kansas football stadiums, pictures where they're virtually empty. Like there's nobody at the game because they were so bad for so long. And if Nebraska games looked more like that, the only reason we can even, I think, talk about Nebraska possibly bouncing back, aside from the media money, is that fans still care and will... And if the team success ever comes back to any kind of a level like regular bowl games, eight win seasons, whatever, that's because in part the fans actually care. The fans want them to be good. But if the fans don't pay attention to it, yeah, I think all the guys, stuff you guys are saying, it, that success, if it does drop off, it's a lot harder to come back when the fans don't, fans aren't there.
0: So I kind of want to, I want to I, I, I okay. push back a little on that. I, I think you're right. Nebraska is a great example because they're the biggest game in town, biggest city in Nebraska on game day, big red, that, that big red, they, they show up and they love the Cornhuskers. You know, I'm, I, you know, I'm a kid of the you know, 80s baby, 90s child. I watched those teams, you know, outside of the HBCUs, black quarterbacks were not a thing and Tommy Frazier changed the lot of people's minds on that. And I will always have a, a fondness for Nebraska for that. Um, those teams were, it's hard to express how good they were. Um, three, what was it? Three national championships, in four years, two national championships in three years. It was crazy. But I, I look at what Kansas did last season. I love Kansas. I watched multiple Kansas games. That Kansas team, even though they weren't, they didn't have a better than 500 record. <laughs> that was the most exciting team in america for for a several period stretch that team was they took a playoff game winner to the wire they took oklahoma to the woodshed at multiple points i mean this was a team that was a lot of fun to watch everybody watched that team and said man they scared oklahoma state real bad like It's a lot of fun to watch this team, a team that hadn't had any success for a long time. As someone who wanted Gil Turner to be the next great coach, I have watched a lot of bad Kansas football. (laughs) And what I'm getting at is, did the fans show up and make them better when they did? Not really. They kind of were a 6-6 and team. Were they a hell of a lot of fun to watch? Yes. And I think there there is give and take on this this equation you know if you tilt that scale hey everybody show up and we'll get better that that does work and i think it can work in a lot of places and i would also posit the wizard bill snyder himself nobody was going to games when he took over in in manhattan and no one's gonna everyone goes to games in manhattan now and i think that's a big deal changing that quote unquote, changing that culture, but still his, his family yep. name is on the stadium and, and that, and the purple, they show up, those wildcats, they show up and they didn't cause they were real bad. And then instantly they weren't. And I, you know, I, I think to your point, Nebraska is a good example, but Kansas yeah, state true. is too. And I don't think anybody would have taken Nebraska against Kansas mm-hmm. state last yeah. year. <laughs> so so Josiah, that's a great appetizer. Love it. I thought it was great. Anything else you want to you want to touch on before we, we slide onto the main course? Play the game. I'm
1: ready. I'm ready for the game.
0: All right, all right. So so Jeff, you said you have a game. I got a game. What you got? Tell me about
2: it. All right. So this is a game of as we talk about kind of regionalism and nationalism in where is this sport? Is this a sport that is regional? Is it national? Is it moving in one direction or another? Um, and I'm going to start with a game and then we're going to broaden the topic out. But the game is going to be, I've got, through Excel Magic, uh, the states of the US sorted via how many programs in FBS there are. Um, that was mainly just a Ease on my end. No offense to the wonderful programs in FCS. Um, fewer internet digging if I just did FBS. Um, but the programs in- never thought my own co-hosts <laughs> would discount all of my favorite bag,
0: teams, man. and here we are.
2: Um, but FBS programs per capita—it's actually per in my spreadsheet it's per ten million people because uh, things get get weird with small numbers. But I'm gonna kind of ask my wonderful co hosts can you name any of the top five of and i'll i'll let each of you go and try and the name top five but name the top five via of concentration per capita so that's the most programs mm-hmm. per capita of states in the union so the states with the most fbs schools the states with the most FBS schools per population.
1: I know one of them's gotta be North Carolina because they have a ton of schools. And I would also guess Michigan. And Florida, maybe? Yeah.
2: Those all have lots yeah. of schools. Blue, I'm gonna give you a, a, a try. Is that, is, is is that your five, Josiah? Because I, I don't... I have.
0: Okay, okay. Okay. Uh, so you did this out of 10 million. So New Jersey has one FBS school and has about eight to nine million people. So I'm going to pick my home state of Jersey. Uh, so
2: you're you're going. No. So it, it's go the inverse. You want the most programs per population.
0: That's how I'm that's how I'm picking it. Yes. That's OK. Exactly OK. You're, you're putting. All right. All right. I got, I'm going go to go Nebraska. They have one FBS program. And a, and a very small population. I'm going to go Missouri. They have one FBS program and a small population. Uh, I think they have one. I, I know the University of Missouri. I can't think of any others. If there are others, I apologize to you, univer- uh, State of Missouri. Show me State. Um, Missouri is I'm going to go Illinois. F- is the
2: only FBS program in the state of Missouri.
0: Missouri is the only one. Okay. I'm going to go Illinois. Because they have a large population, but they also have several programs. Um, they've got uh, uh, Northwestern, the University of Illinois, uh, Northern Illinois. So that's three. And then they have a, a fairly fairly large population. So that's four of mine. And then uh, my last one, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to pick my co-host's uh, adopted state where he got his bachelor. I think his bachelor's mm-hmm. and his master's. Uh, I'm gonna go with Mississippi because Mississippi has two uh, FBS teams. Oh, excuse me, three FBS teams. Yep. I forgot about Southern Miss, but Most they have three knew. FBS teams and a fairly sizable population. <laughs> I apologize, Southern Miss. I think you're great, and and, and have fond memories of you b- being Boise before Boise. All right. So those those are mine. Okay. Jersey, Nebraska, Illinois, uh, Mississippi, and uh, Missouri. All
2: right. So in terms. Of both of you, one of those that combined you guys listed is on the top five of programs per population, and that is the state of Mississippi, which is three programs.
0: Um, Mission accomplished. We did it.
2: And a population of just about 2.9 million people. So that works out to 10 programs per 10 million people, uh, if you put it on that basis. Um, that is fifth in terms of concentration. The overall highest is Wyoming, that has one program and a population of 581,000. So that would work out to 17 programs for 10 million people. Wyoming will mess you up on any per capita thing because Wyoming has a very small population. Next is Alabama, which is... One big school. Yep. Alabama has six FBS programs, as well as a number of FCS programs. Um, and D two programs with a population of five million. Wow. West Virginia has two okay. population of one point seven. Yep. Louisiana West has five programs and a population of four point six million. So
0: what was the last one? I was talking over you, so my apologies. What was the last Louisiana, number? One?
2: With five programs, okay. of four point six million. So obviously, the top five is a state that is very very small in population, and then a number of states that to some degree or another, people would refer to as Southern or just a relatively small population. If you kind of look through the rest of the top 10, you've got a number of Western states with relatively small populations, um, places like Utah, Oklahoma, um, Hawaii, that is a relatively small population, um, and then right out Kansas, that has two programs, but again, a relatively small population. Um, states like Ohio that we think of as, that have a ton of football they're down at 11th only because Ohio is a relatively large population uh, 11.8 million um, a couple of other states that I know blue. you would had- how many
0: sorry to stop you there how many programs are in Ohio
2: Ohio has 8 FPS programs
0: oh that is a lot I didn't think they had that many but thinking about the MAC and then Ohio State kind of leading the charge there and oh yeah you're right that is yeah they got quite a few
2: Yeah, uh, North Carolina that you mentioned has Seven programs. It's a lot of programs in the state of North Carolina, but North Carolina is a relatively yes. populous state. ten point seven million. Yep. Um What's interesting is the states that are relatively low in per capita. So you had mentioned so the state that has one FBS program, but has just about the largest population of any state with one FBS program is New Jersey. It has nine point three million people, one FBS That's program. Right. It is uh of it is actually the Fewest programs per capita of states that have a program, uh, an FBS program. Um, there are a number oh, wow. of other states that have F- FCS programs but no FBS programs. Um, that are they're mostly smaller states in the Northeast and the West. Um, and you have Missouri. You mentioned one program and six million people. New York, three programs with nineteen point six million people. California that we think of as is quite populous uh, it is the most populous state in the nation it has seven programs but with 39 million people so that's only 1.7 or 1.8 um yeah. programs for, for a million people um Illinois very populous so what is very interesting is the schools that are mostly kind of in that back end are mostly big western states so Washington California um Mm. you've got some some eastern states so new jersey new york um i had mentioned and then you have some midwestern states that only have a single program um minnesota wisconsin missouri um and so where this gets interesting is you can kind of see in here in this analysis of where there are states where there is a lot of interest and of course there being programs builds interest. Interest builds there being programs, um, but there is a decent amount of regional concentration in that, where the southern states are very much showing more interest in the presence of programs, and many of the states that are in the northeast and west there is less so.
0: So let me ask you a question. I I I want to touch on that because. You specifically have a cutoff. You've, you've bifurcated the sport as football bowl subdivision and everybody else. And that is a recent creation. That's a, that comes from around 2007. Prior to 2007, uh, when I was an undergrad, we called it Division 1A and Division 1AA and then Division 2 and Division 3. And then prior to even that, there was another classification where almost all the college teams were kind of lumped in together and so the sport transitioned from being kind of a northeastern sport where if you would have told people a century ago man harvard and yale aren't gonna be the best teams in the country they would have laughed you out of the room the same way if i go to if i go up to any sidewalk fan today and say hey look alabama and louisiana state lsu they're not gonna be the best teams forever i get laughed out of any room i'm in what does this suggest for maybe the migration of where these big caring fan bases are, or where they're going?
2: So I think there's there's a couple things going on. One, obviously, you've had had waning in interest because the schools that were involved changed. Like the, I think the big reason why you see a lot of the northeastern um, states have very few programs is a lot of the programs that were very involved early, um, your Ivy League programs. Rockers to some extent there have gotten have d- decided over time they wanted to be less involved and so some of the other programs that were involved very early outside of that region then became the more established powers so you have your Alabama that was not really really early but did have success pre World War Two Michigan that was in that was very successful in about the same period the Ivies were dominating the sport they're still heavily involved and so. Okay. There is something there of this, you know, your pre-World War II powers in some regions kept going that keeps that interest. If they wane off post-World War II, you have other interests in sports and in football filled the void, particularly as your if your colleges are falling off in their competitiveness or how much they are trying to bring people in to watch— as pro is building in that kind of post-World War II to 1980s period, the NFL as being what people are interested in, if they're interested in football, grows there, which I think is kind of what you see in the Northeast. You also have some interesting things of population dynamics changing and shifting over time, where we've had a lot of population growth um, in Southern areas of the U.S. and in sure. some of this includes parts of the West as well. As places in, particularly the Midwest and some of the Northeast, have had slower population growth or losses of population over time, and you've also had a lot of, while well, you've had a lot of immigration into a lot of Western states. Um, it doesn't feel like football as a culture has really brought in many of the people from those recent immigrant groups.
0: Sure. that makes a lot of sense. I, I only, I look at that cutoff of World War II and I think of, you know, football on the West Coast started with your Cal. Then it actually went to Washington, you know, Washington, Oregon, then Stanford started their team. And then UCLA started their team a little bit after Cal, maybe I think maybe five or six years after Cal, you know, all 1819th century. But there was a real fervor across this nation. I mean, all four corners of the nation were 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 into it. Um, to your point, it goes from the Northeast, it kind of migrates into the Midwest and it goes down South. And then the teams that were good, stayed good. You know, your Michigan is the prime example, but a team like Florida, Florida was in a rough spot prior to the, maybe the middle of the 20th century. And even then they weren't great. You know, they didn't really win their first national championship until sometime in the 90, Ninety-six is their first championship under Spurrier. And again, you can look at Florida's population boom to your to your point. There was a massive explosion in Florida's population toward the end of the 20th century. That's when it saw its biggest expansion.
2: That's so when so, air conditioning got I'm not cheap. Too sure. Well,
0: that is when <laughs> air conditioning
1: That's a good point. I was Go ahead, say, Josiah. One thing I think is hard to quantify from this distance is what fan support looks like now relative to then like stadium sizes have increased a lot now some of the stadiums back in the 20s were surprisingly large but you know like yeah and i'm not saying you're wrong but just thinking in terms of like relative population size you know huge amounts of fan support for one of those schools at that time might have been ten thousand people showed up to a game and were like while they were selling out the stadium and that's all you needed at that time. Now, if you don't have, if you only get ten thousand people at a game every week, like that's that's barely getting by, especially at like an FBS level. And so, you know, when a sport is growing like that, it's interesting to see how that expectation shifts a bit. Because um, yeah, you look at the photos of like stadiums back then. There's a lot of them where you could fill it up, and it didn't take that many people. Um, and so, you know, the fervor may be. You know, you had a lower population and all that stuff and all the other cultural things that we've talked about. I don't know. Just an interesting thought to me that 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 maybe I'd like to see sort of what does that look like? You know what? We've got viewership numbers versus back then that, you know, how many TV sets were there? Maybe the numbers were low.
0: Yeah. We got ticket sales. sales. We don't yeah. have, do we yeah, have a TV exactly. number? we just have ticket sales.
2: I don't. I don't think you've got radio numbers. I think the the technology yeah, is really good. No. radio audiences is, is relatively yeah, recent yeah. as well, and th- and that would be the the comparable mass media to television. Um, and yeah, the, the well, most... I would
0: I would also wonder about that because I, the comparable that I would ask is the newspaper.
2: Uh-huh.
0: I would look at those old newspaper articles. How many people showed up? How many yeah. people were at the game? That would be what uh-huh. they would have reported. Maybe not necessarily how many right, people watched right. it yep. on some other medium or what was broadcast, but that would have been it for a lot of these games and any any filming done would have been done by students you know i think i, I looked at an old yale harvard game it was it was low low fi but it was clearly done by people who cared you know it wasn't an espn production this was students who put together footage of this game so i don't know that's a that's a really good question i that's something yeah. maybe we want to explore uh uh toward the the second part of this i see you have uh, a, a UConn comparison in here, Jeff. You want to kind of yeah. pull that, stretch that out for us. So I think
2: in in combination to, hey, do we have a mix of of involvement in sport from the level of having programs? There's also a simultaneous thing going on of how widespread is not just programs themselves, but programs that are in the competition for 100%. titles. Um and I think what's fascinating is the point at which if you draw two lines, uh, one vertical and east and west of the line, there is equal population and then one horizontal, north and south of the line there is equal population, that line is just north of Evansville, Indiana <laughs> um, which if you think if you follow that line going up, you're probably, just east of Chicago. If you find that line going down, I believe you are uh just west of Tuscaloosa. Um I I am using the I had to do some very uh quick looks at some places that were right over the line. Tuscaloosa is just southeast of or just east of this line. Um but of where teams that have been involved in the final fours in football, and I'm going to compare it to basketball, um, of each sport. So, in the kind of northwest quadrant, which includes places that would not be considered in a northwest region unless this is still uh, the 19th century and northwestern exists, um, there were all sure. of two college football playoff teams in.
0: That would be Washington as one the 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 excuse me the Huskies,
2: and Oregon is the other. Mm-hmm.
0: And Oregon, which so those are
2: truly are. Northwestern yes. teams. But like if Wisconsin plays the playoff, as as is. they would be in this category. If Nebraska does, um, and and schools in Chicago would be you know there as well in the Southwest. Which note this includes places not just traditionally you'd think of as the Southwest or or the far True. west, but this is also including, like, Texas, or, well, Texas is very southwestern, but uh, Louisiana mm, is also in this yeah. categorization. There were okay. There were six in that southwestern quadrant, 11 in the northeastern quadrant.
0: Can you break down what that is as well? Like, what states would have been included in so that? So the northeastern like, quadrant would include in that, include right? Michigan,
2: Ohio, uh, okay, And that's where most of the appearances of of the Northeastern quadrant are Ohio State, uh, Cincinnati, and Michigan. Kind of coming from, and Michigan State as well, coming from that Northeastern quadrant. Um, Sure. And then your Southeastern quadrant had 17 appearances, Mm -hmm. which is about 47% of all the appearances in college football playoff came from schools within that Southeastern quadrant and note there are places that we would call Southeastern in terms of a region that technically don't count. So Louisiana didn't count for this. Um, sure. And that is, you know, Alabama Clemson uh, are, are really doing the lion's share of that as well as, you know, Georgia. Um, I also forgot when we were talking about the Northeastern Quadrant, I forgot about Notre Dame. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> so 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 for, for that quick question but, there.
0: But um quick question there, yeah. Jeff. Does this also include the two from Florida State in that Southeastern Yes,
2: Florida State would be in that southeastern quadrant okay. as well. Got it. Um yeah. I we have not mentioned all of the schools that are part of all of these sure. individually. Um so fan bases don't uh, don't get too loud. But that is a massive concentration into one mm-hmm. region. And then it is. Not being very well and then one one region being slightly higher than probably the population would indicate. And then two regions that are much, much below. And region is used kind of broadly. It's it's much more quadrant than the But country. even east to west, that's a, comparing huge, that... that's a huge disparity east to west. Like, east oh to west gosh. it's a huge difference yes. as well. It's the vast majority are coming from the eastern half of population. Um and you've got powers that are in that western half that have done very well. I mean, Oklahoma is not that Western half. Um, Correct. And they have been, they've made a number of appearances, but you're where you, you're, you'd expect it to be, you know, half and half of population. And it hasn't borne out mm. in football results. If you compare that to basketball, basketball, Northwestern quadrant has been seven appearances. Southwestern quadrant was six. Your Northeastern quadrant, 10 appearances, southeastern quadrant was nine. So somewhere between hmm. – so that's, that's much more even yeah. um, in terms of the lowest percent was about 19% of appearances for the southwestern quadrant, and the highest was the northeastern quadrant, was 31%. So
0: Same same number of appearances, though, for southwestern, oh, both gosh. basketball yeah, and football. I
2: didn't notice that before. Yeah, <laughs> I did not realize that. Uh, but a, a little bit of a different distribution yeah. of schools. Uh, of course, yeah, yeah. The yeah, other yeah, big absolutely. thing is – Fourteen schools made up the appearances. The and this is in the same period. This is this is since college football playoff was created. Fourteen schools have appeared in football Final Four. Twenty-four have appeared in the basketball mm. final four.
0: See, I would call that a problem for yeah. the sport. Yeah. If only fourteen out of 130 have had an opportunity. That seems bad to me.
2: Yeah. And and Really, to me, this is a thing of... We are caring more... It seems like we are caring more and more about the concept of a national champion than we maybe ever have before. um, As a media apparatus. And so, if you're saying this is what's important and you have a very small concentration... A very small number of programs, a very small regional concentration, that really takes out a lot of fan bases from interest. If you're saying... Which... You could say, well, is the sport getting more regional because it's fewer fewer people are really in it, or is it this national obsession, the obsession of the sport in mean, a national means that's really doing this? Where if you only cared about the regional results, then kind of everybody's got their own petty little thing um, of proving you're you're the petty is not necessarily the right word always, but sometimes it is with rivalries. You do have your your very local rivalries that are going to be very small scale and you might have okay you want to be the best in your region and more schools have the opportunity to be that because well there are more regions there are more conferences that are regionally split and also kind of in this is our definition of region is kind of funky where the kind of true northeast has been out of this conversation for a very long time in football where in basketball you have schools like Villanova and UConn that are making up your kind of northeastern contingent that are competing and Ohio isn't obviously has fans that are, that are in Ohio state or or Michigan has fans that are in the New York metro area. Um, But they aren't necessarily a Northeastern school.
0: Yeah. These schools with these large fan bases can really be anywhere. Uh, Especially, you know, if you're talking more than just sidewalk fans, if you're talking just alumni who then, disseminated throughout the Republic. So, you've got a note in here that asked a question. What makes folks interested? Can you give me the thinking behind that a little bit of what do you mean and and, and what exactly are you asking?
2: Yeah, so some of this is, is, obviously, we've set up these numbers of there are concentrations of schools in certain places that are playing FBS football. There's a concentration of schools that are competing for national titles that are competing. And part of it is do we need to reframe how we're talking about the sport to keep people from tuning out? Because I think, at least to me, it seems like there is a con- there is a discussion more and more about the national title. And that excludes a lot of teams that are not necessarily in a position to compete. And also, it's it frames it so that we should only talk about games that are mattering. And if that's the case, then you're really excluding a lot of places. Um and you're hoping that maybe a school in a region can be start to be at that level so that then you can talk about all the teams they're playing against so you know for for games at west to get attention from a national media do you have to have USC or Oregon or Washington in a title hunt or can you so that you know somebody looks at oh well Oregon's playing Washington state and therefore, this game matters because it has implications of Oregon, or could you say, well, there are just people that like watching this this game, or is the game interesting? Like, could it be a fun game to watch? Because you know what the different teams' strategies are, um, or is it just you're caring about what your local team, what your team's doing because you want to have bragging rights against your friends?
0: These are all great questions. I, I personally. I'm against the idea of making the national championship more important than the outcome of the season itself. And I think that reducing the season to crown a national champion is problematic and it hurts the sport. That is a, that's a personal assessment. I have been against it because I have always found that national championships in a sport with over 100 participants are really hard to adjudicate Because someone is going to someone deserving or someone who feels they're deserving is going to get left out. And then you're going to diminish their season because of things that are outside of their control or influence. That's at least how it has been in the past. For example, Utah went undefeated, beat Alabama in a bowl game and then didn't get any conversation about being in a national championship. They had a phenomenal season and all of their season was diminished by outside, by the, the, the media apparatus because we're stuck arguing about whether or not they should have been in a conversation for a national championship. And so I think we should, in a sport where you only get 12 games, maybe a bowl game, uh, at the level of FCS where the HBCUs play, there are no bowl games unless you're talking about the, the Celebration Bowl, which is only for two of the HBCU conferences. The other two don't participate in that you don't have this world where winning all your games is is the it, you have this world where winning all your games doesn't give you the satisfaction because then you go but well, we didn't win the national championship. And it's like that's a single game. You're basing your whole season on a single game. And if you if you're going to do that, it should be a game of your choosing against your rival and not the media telling you well this other game is more important because we've deemed it to be more important. At least that's that's how I feel about it, very subjectively. So whenever you're ready.
1: So, going to the final 4 for example, like we're talking about in basketball, we celebrate that. We celebrate that a team made the final 4. It's not that it doesn't still sting when you hit the final 4 and <laughs> lose, but it it it's still something where people it's genuine and it's not no one's like oh you made the final 4, what you know, that doesn't matter. Like everybody recognizes that that is a big deal to make that. And, you know, for in football, we just don't do that. Like we playoff teams, I mean, you get that participation celebration. But I, yeah, I think, I think for me, it's, yeah, we don't, we don't celebrate it enough. And as much as I like bowl games, I really do. Um, You know, sometimes, yeah, we don't, we don't distribute that the the way that we measure success, how do you define success? Like that's something we've even said this episode, let alone other places. You know, it's it, I think it's okay to define success in multifaceted ways that don't just involve a single title champion. Um, sure, but yeah, and absolutely. I think to kind of bookend and finish out my thoughts, for me the biggest issue I have with the way that we handle playoff discourse is that is that it is an invitational. And that not any f- team can win it. You know, you have that survive and advance team from Correct. NC State. They they sucked, but they won a national title because they managed. They had a path that way. They could win their way in. I mean,
0: I mean, they sucked less exactly. than everybody they beat. Exactly. So. so like, I want, I want a
1: world where a Bowling Green State could could build a random. Really good team that they'll never replicate, never ever. But they could win their way into never. a national title conversation. And like TCU was about as close as I think we've ever really gotten, aside from maybe Cincinnati. But they actually got to that game. Cincy, and, mm-hmm.
0: TCU, Oregon yep. that yep. one time in 19- yep. twenty fourteen because yep. they got and to the game. So like, but that they they can
1: win their way into it. And right now, that's just not possible. Like you could be the best team in the country, and you can't win your way in. So the thing I like about the new playoff model is at least there are auto bids, you know. Some team from you know Baltimore County, their branch school of uh, you know, University of Maryland, they can beat the number 1 seed in in the tournament, you know, or whatever. You can have teams that win their way in and have a chance even if it's very remote of at least making some noise and maybe randomly win in a national championship, that, that it's even possible for the team to win their
2: way in is something that I value a lot as
1: a fan.
0: Yeah, and I
1: think...
2: I will oh, say, ahead, it's honestly the best way of proving who is the best, but it's certainly a fun yeah. way to do a tournament. Like, the NCAA tournament, and, you know, maybe this is just this year stinging or whatever, but the NCAA tournament isn't isn't a great way of, of making sure the best teams are the ones winning it, but it is a lot of fun. And it also it makes sure that there is always that conversation on a lot of teams that wouldn't get a conversation if it was, yeah, okay, it's going to be a smaller pool or we're going to do like a group stage and that'll be a little bit more reliable at getting the best team through. And it is definitely a way to make sure that you're getting more stories told. Um, because you are getting, getting more eyeballs. You're getting more you're eyeballs. You're getting more teams, more eyeballs. You're getting more sure. teams, more eyeballs. But like your your schools that have those big first round upsets or can maybe do a little bit of a deep run wouldn't get talked about ever except the fact that they're getting that deep run. Um, so like one of the final four teams that I was loyal Chicago people probably outside of Chicago or even people in the Chicago area would not have heard of loyal Chicago without that mm-hmm. run or St. Peter's, or Butler to a degree nationally. These are all schools that have really elevated them being talked about in the media because of that success. And in football, you're really only seeing the tippy-top get talked about in a media environment. And some of that is we're now putting so... We put so much attention on the national title versus other stories. So, I mean, we talked about... Kansas earlier that had their best season in a number of years and it was, you know, if Alabama had that <laughs> season, it would be a disaster.
0: Somebody would get fired. Somebody or somebody lose a job. Yeah. They get that yeah, mad at me. Multiple somebody. Maybe not Nick Saban. <laughs> so, but somebody, somebody sees right? now. get fired,
2: yeah. For Kansas, <laughs> that is a big Big deal because they were in such a slump for mm-hmm. so long, and it is a great story One to have that big
0: twelve win for the last three se- a piece for the last three seasons, and then they they, they quadruple that in a single season. Yes,
2: yeah. yeah, or it's a great season. And it maybe I I'm coming from a program that had a similar trajectory where very rough under uh, Daryl Hazel and a very quick turnaround um, under Brom and. You could feel that excitement going to games in the two different yeah. eras, and those eras are only a couple years apart.
0: Yeah. Um, speaking of excitement, and that's a <laughs> great transition. I'm going to use you as a transition, Jeff. Is that okay? <laughs> so speaking of 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 that transition from going from one era to the other, let's talk about grabbing fans. Uh, Josiah, you yeah. have two great questions here. Uh, I'm just going to before you get into that, I'm just going to say, yeah. go pokes. We try that out. See how that that's feels. Good. It's a good one. Yeah. Go it Sounds good. Sounds good. What's your what, what you got for the dessert? I think it's along this those is lines. It's a little lighter
1: pokes. fare than than sometimes, but this this is just we talk a lot about building fans, grabbing fans and yeah, go pokes. That's one that's what we say. That's our slogan or Mississippi State. It's Hail State. Um so I think I just wanted to know and I got a follow-up question after we talk about this. Um but what your favorite team slogans? And it could be a, a a personal it can be a team that you are affiliated with. It could be a pro team. It can be not in football, but I'm interested in what, what do we like about a slogan? Like what makes a slogan a good one? What, you know, why, why is it catchy? Go pokes is catchy. It's catchy because it has that repeated O sound and it just feels nice to say, but what are some, what are some of your favorite slogans or, or, you know uh, yeah. Team, team mottos, whatever that is.
2: Boiler up gets me Mm -hmm. excited. Like it is similar to go pokes where it's that short, sweet, exciting. It's great in a game. Probably the best is Liverpool's You Never Walk Alone, which is from a song. It's a song that they they actually sing during uh, when the team's coming out. And obviously, I've never been to Anfield, but seeing that, you know, videos of that experience where you have 70,000 people singing in this communal atmosphere of supporting each other just is... Almost religious and spiritual in a way that doesn't have many comparisons. Like, I'm a fan of a different team in England, and they've got, you know, Arsenal has has some great traditions of, of the team walking out and some great cheers, but I don't think I will ever feel that level of emotion to what it seems, and Anfield feels when they say "You
0: never walk alone." Um, uh, mine's pretty, pretty straightforward. It's behold <laughs> yes. the green and gold. Um, <laughs> uh, it's my favorite. Uh, I'm biased, and I, I make no apologies for that. But it comes from, it comes from again. I talk about Norfolk State uh, having a meteoric rise from a single room in the YMCA to giving out PhDs within like thirty years. Um, from the 1935, you want to talk about building the program? They went from just nothing to something, <laughs> right? I just they went from Great Depression era to full fledged university in like 30 years, and so the thing was, while all that was happening, it, it happened under two men: Doctor uh, Doctor Brooks, who the library is named after, Lehman Beecher Brooks, and then Doctor Harrison B. Wilson. Um, they shepherded Norfolk State into back to back two great presidents, but. The school was trying to take a very corporate stance and had a lot of very corporate things. That was very, we are due to be a great institution and in a university and the come like it was very stuffy. And that is not at all Norfolk State. And so the student body created Behold the Green and Gold as a thing they said to each other. And the school had no choice but to acquiesce. And now Behold is just a, all Spartans know it. It's like, oh, we're uh, we're here, we're we're there. Uh, it even became, and maybe one day I'll have to play this and show this to my co-host. But it's a the band, the Legion plays a song called "Simply Behold," and it was written by the first band director as an homage to the student body. He said, "I can't let mm-hmm. this go," and it's a uh, it's what Norfolk State plays as their pass and review. But that's mine. Oh yeah, there's other great ones. That mine,
1: one's mine, mine is a lot less serious than y'all's. Um, it, but I think sure. again, we're getting a good cross section of what makes a good slogan, what makes a good mantra. It's uh, it's Austin P University, baby. Let's go pee. Like I, I, you know, it's it's yeah. it's, it's absolutely <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. But the thing that's fun about it for me is like, I like self awareness in a program where they can you can make fun of yourself. Like, absolutely. let's go pee is absolutely hilarious because you can yell it, and of course you're talking about your school, but you're also making a joke. Um, and I talked to alum, an alum who said when her mom, who was also an alum, went there, like years ago, they would say, "Show me your pness how much P you have," <laughs> and so that was another thing they would yell. I love that they're I love that you can make jokes with it, but it's it's you know it's sort of a playfulness, it's a fun kind of goofing around. Um, for me, yeah, it's it feels like one of the through lines is the catchiness, institutional identity ties in real nice, and. There's something fun about all of them, either Behold or even singing, you know, singing the, the song like that is, yeah, you feel, it feels interesting. So my other question, follow up to this, now that we've established some good ones. If you could rehab the slogan for one team, maybe two, but one, one let's just go with one for now. Whose who's would you rehab and what, what do you feel like you would want it to be instead? One school or one team. Again, it could be pro, it could be non football, just anything. And if you need a moment to think, I've got one. So. Yeah, you go ahead and start. Okay? I, I got to think about this a little bit, how I would rehab it. So, but I think I have one. Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm not a huge fan, but I live in the area. So you get a, a, affiliated with it. And the thing they like to say is Thunder Up. And, you know, Boiler Up, that works. That makes sense. It sounds good. But Thunder Up has never fit to me, never felt good. And I think, I think part of it is just. The lot there's i hate to get this way but the logic of it doesn't make sense to me thunder doesn't necessarily go up or down it just happens it doesn't feel like like a thunder and so i would rehab that because there's a lot of things that okc thunder needs to rebrand and rehab a bit on the way that we do they do their iconography but i probably would i i, I can't believe that they didn't go with roll thunder you know like roll thunder like you got roll tide roll thunder like it's it's right that's there. a good one that's it's a good right one right there you just say
0: yeah. And they can have the they have the yeah. fans stomp their feet and they have a big in the drum dance. in there in the
1: That'd in the good. arena. Like I've been to one of the games and they 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 chant OKC. Okay, it's all great. But like Thunder Up, Roll Thunder to me just feels like it feels like Thunder, too, to say you got more long sounds. Like, I don't yeah. know. I just I, yeah. OKC, okay, you guys got to do you got to do better. That's a good one. Do better. I gotta go watch oh, them when they yeah. come play the Wizards. Yeah. That's a good one. Prepare to be disappointed. <laughs>
0: That's a good one. <laughs> By oh both gosh, teams, yeah. yeah, I'm sure. All right, Jeff, what do you? Th- you got one, Jeff? I think I have one. I, I. But there, there's a lot of
2: categories of teams that probably need to change a lot of their iconography, even if it works, and a lot of their traditions, mm-hmm. even the, even if it works. Like anyone that is doing um, the FSU war oh, chant yeah. and. Yep shop yeah particularly the pro teams yeah. um have some opportunities to to rebrand those and obviously there is a reason that they do those because it is certainly a really catchy chant and mm-hmm. sure it's easy it's easy it it kind of builds up like it there is a reason and it very much is though very much it a problem when it is so divorced. one that it is incredibly problematic on its own and the iconography of, of Native Americans it's also very weird Absolutely. that it's disconnected from the origin of the chant that was like just some drunk people in Florida State stands and Florida State has a complicated relationship with um, its use of um, some the all- Seminole Nation who, for sure yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and there there is a relationship even though it is complicated it's much more problematic for me when it's you're Kansas City and you're very disconnected and you're not you're not doing that level of involvement or thinking about it mm-hmm. um
0: we're in a new era there yeah we?
2: and Kansas City is also a city with its own traditions it can pull from like to me I think yeah. of it very much in a culinary tradition um and like you, you read my mind and Everybody oh, rips, yeah. baby. Yeah, like <laughs> one, uh, remove the "i" from your team name and become the Kansas City Chefs. Yes. Uh, and two, something like as a cheer, smoke them out, which obviously Perfect. You know, no notes. Oh gosh, has both. They can the, even keep uh, the same Barbecue oh. connection, as well as mm, love it. You know, you what some folks Perfect. will do, and you know, if you've got to deal with uh, rodents that are digging up stuff. Uh, so it's, it, it has a little bit of double entendre and that it's like, you know, get rid of the other team, whatever. And also is related to, uh, the cultural history. And of you the can city. always
1: do a cannabis cross promotion, you know, just smoke them out and, you know, right. It's, it, 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 it's <laughs> perfect. It's
0: perfect. Uh, Legalizing Missouri,
1: we
2: Reconsider some Let's of your laws it. because that is, oh my
0: word, <laughs> that is great. you get so many sponsors. So smoke them out. I can't even top that. That's the, I can't even, that's it. That's the end of the show. Uh, um, no, I, I've got one. Um, Howard University, uh, probably squarely known as uh, number one or number two, as far as HBCUs are concerned. Um, they refer to themselves or have recently as the Mecca, as uh, what they call physical campus. They call campus the Mecca. And then they, uh, one of the things they write on all of their, when they're communicating with students, they say "hu," you know, which I've always I hear it, and it's like, yeah, hey, that's not as catchy as uh-huh. it could be. You know, if you're trying to do a call and response, you know, there's better ways we can go about this. And so, you know, one of the things I've always wanted the Howard to do is, you know, if you ever see me wear anything for the school, it always just says Howard. I, I don't wear anything that says Bison on it. I'm a Spartan for life. You know, I'm I'm a you know I love my Norfolk State Spartans. But you know, being a double alumni means you gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta show up. So one of the things I would really want Howard to do is either go back into the history or create new some sort of script Ooh. for Howard. Because you've got opportunity here for loops on the H, oh. loops on the O, mm-hmm. a fancy W, ARD. And so that's what I would have Howard do. Now I've seen a Howard script on. I'm talking old. Oh, this is like from the twenties, and I was like, hey, that's kind of cool. But I want them to modernize it and give me a nice oh, yeah. script Howard hoodie or something of that nature. We'll it, put it on a uniform, and it or something.
2: conveys visually it conveys oh, history yeah. that Howard oh, has. Yes, and that even people like I am not very knowledgeable about HBCUs, but I know the reputation and history of Howard precedes itself.
0: Yes. And it started out as a hospital and then added a law school. They they didn't even wasn't even a university. It was a hospital and a law school. Lawyers and doctors. Then they said maybe we should put a college here. Yeah. yeah. I, not a, that's how they started. And yeah, and a script conveys oh, yeah. that visually. Yeah. That's what I would want. If you can I've looked for one uh, this is perfect for home Homefield can get on <laughs> yes. it. Great. Um So Dessert was great. I loved it. Uh, I'm going to leave everybody with one final question. Just answer Josiah's question. What is your favorite college, pro, or other team uh, slogan? Tell us the, what it means to you and why it's your favorite. And you could do that at our website. Jeff, what's what's that URL? It is feedyourmascot.squarespace.com.
2: We also have a listener. We've got, if you want to send us your, your answers to questions, or if you have your own question, to ask us uh show topic suggestions we have a listener questions in feedback form that you can do that if uh, we get a decent number of questions probably sometime in the next uh, few weeks we will probably do a listener question hey. show so do
0: we have any yet just curious have we gotten any questions yet
2: we haven't so
0: it'd be wonderful if uh,
2: <laughs> folks answered that so we could
0: we'll hit up the uh, we'll hit up self-promo uh, so, I want everyone to give us one last thing leave leave us out on. Josiah, what's, what what you closing lady. out on this
1: week? Go Duke Dogs.
0: A friend of mine is going to be so excited <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> Jeff, what are you closing us out on this week? I am still coming down emotionally from
2: playoff overtime hockey in Raleigh uh, yeah. that I uh, went to with my dad and stepmom. So, folks, enjoy this while you can because there is nothing more exciting than overtime hockey and there's nothing more and except for one thing
0: playoff overtime hockey (laughs) go canes that's that's the hurricanes in in carolina right yep all right well i'm gonna have everybody sign out it's starting to get nice out here in virginia (laughs) so if it is getting nice where you are go enjoy some of that Mm -hmm. sunshine shake off that those winter those winter wearies get you get you some sunshine you know and uh, if it doesn't make you sneeze, it may oh make gosh. you feel better. Although if you have allergies, uh, this advice may not be for you. But yes, please get out there. Enjoy some of the nice weather if you can. This podcast
2: <laughs> will not provide medical advice. Your mileage advice, may vary. But uh, this your pharmacist might, and if you need to get some allergy meds, talk to your local pharmacist. Absolutely. And
0: always remember to feed your mascot.